With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Kimberly Barra-Kinney. Kimberly has worn many hats in her professional life, including detective's assistant, breakfast cook, taekwondo instructor, adolescent and family counselor, and fifth grade teacher, which she says is her favorite job ever. As a writer, her poems and stories have been published in American Writers Review, Mused Plumtree Tavern, and Rubber Top Review. Her full-length play, Anna's Hummingbird, was given a stage reading at the Dramatists Guild in New York City. Always inspired by the power of play, thoughtful questions, and a lifelong belief in nature's ability to heal, Kimberly joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her life and latest novel, Jet Jameson and the Secret Storm. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Kimberly. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Great to have you here, Kimberly. And I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? So my story as an author begins in a place that I think is a little different than most. Um, I never thought that I'd be a writer. I wasn't writing things when I was six and hoping I'd write a novel someday later. Um, I read a lot, but the writing part came much, much uh, later, um, literally about 15 or 20 years ago as an adult when my youngest son went off to college and I was in this new space and realized that I needed to go see a therapist and um, work out some things about some childhood trauma that I had memories of. And so I worked with the therapist or tried to, but I was unable to speak about what happened to me. Either I didn't have the words or uh, couldn't bring them up, whatever it was, I couldn't talk about it. And so she said, do you think you can write something? You don't have to write about it, but can you write about a feeling, a phrase here, a sentence there? And I said, okay. And, um, I started writing and I haven't stopped since then. So it's all thanks to a therapist named Judith, who um, is the reason I'm an author today. I mean, I started out writing what you might expect, raw, cathartic poetry and narratives and 
um, then morphed into, hey, you know, I, I kind of like this. So um, I, I went back to school for creative writing and actually focused on playwriting, but um, I channeled over into middle grade fiction. Yeah, I, I love this notion of um, like like taking a source of pain, you know, for example, childhood trauma. And I've talked to you know other people as well, you know, who who you know suffer from you know PTSD from going to war or or other trauma, and you know, using that and, and almost transforming that into something positive. So taking like this very negative experience, but then this this thing of beauty, this creation comes into the world. And of course, those are your plays and, and your books and things like that. I I just love how writing has the ability to maybe maybe healing isn't the right word, but certainly help process grief. Would would you agree with that or both? I think it I think it helps process it and well for me anyway, and um helps heal. For me, but as a as a a child and an adult who wasn't full of speaking words, you know, um, um, I think that 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 was my way of of getting everything out and getting everything out and facing up to things was how I healed. Yeah, I am healing. Yeah, well, one thing I'm curious about and, and you know, feel free to, to say pass is, is if we were playing a game show here. Okay. You know, you you mentioned it was when your your son went off to college that you know you started to to kind of work with this therapist. If I have that timeline correct, what was it about his leaving that prompted you to you know seek therapy? It's interesting to me too. It was like all I have two boys, and finally he was gone, and I you know my husband and I had a different life together then, and it, things were quieter. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I think back and I wonder, it was a tumultuous time for me. So I think that maybe subconsciously I was just, you know, keeping everything low and level until I got to this point where, um, I was feeling a little more free to actually pursue these little bits of memories that were, you know, surrounding my, uh, mind. Yeah. And remind me, this was your youngest who went off? Yes. Okay. So here I have I have something to share here. Um, we have triplets and they are well, they're now 21, but they all left at the same time. And I noticed like when we went from like, you know, a house of five to a house of two, you know, it, it is quiet. You do have more time. You know, I found you know, I was always the the person kind of running to all the different sporting events and you know, dad taxi and all that. And and when that stops, you know, I started to question like my identity, you know, it's like my identity was so wrapped up for 18 plus years in this role of dad. Now it's, it's changed. I'm still a dad, but it's like the role changed when they were all gone. And I found myself going through a period of a lot of self-reflection and doing a lot of self-work during that time. I, I think maybe it's just like when they leave the nest and it's quiet, it's like, Okay, now it's time to kind of reorient ourselves as to like who we are and and almost like rethink, you know, because we're we're so stuck in in that role of parent for so long, and then all of a sudden it's like that's challenged, and now it's like oh, I got to figure out like what what my purpose is again. Right, I totally agree with that. Things get quiet, and um, you're you're reassessing everything. So yeah. I I hear you on that. 
I, I before before we talk about the book, I just have to ask because you know when I was reading the introduction, you know, I'm reading things like detective's assistant, breakfast cook, taekwondo instructor. Tell me about all of these hats you've worn in your life and and sort of that that part of your professional journey. I'm curious about it. Well, let's see the the um, the breakfast cook part was younger, much younger, like college years. Um, but I loved it. I ended up I actually applied for a waitress job at at this pizza place that happened to serve breakfast. And they put me in the cook position for what reason? I have no idea. I do love to cook now, but it was really fun. It ended up being really fun. And then the uh, detective's assistant, it was before I had kids. And I have a, uh, there was just a local detective looking for help. And I had a degree in psychology and we got, you know, I interviewed with him and we hit it off. And basically, I had to drive around to to people's uh, houses or places of work and watch to see if um, so-and-so left her house and really looked like she had an injury that was keeping her home from work. Or um, there was one guy I had to follow into a bar. And, um, you know, and sometimes I had to follow in my car. And sometimes I had to just sit on the side of the street and wait for somebody to emerge. So I don't know. It, it, it was OK. But um, I mean, at one point I wanted to be in the FBI, too. So it's a, it sort of goes a, a, along those lines. Um, and that's that was that. And then what else? Oh, I was a nursery school teacher. I mean, yeah, I've got all kinds. Of, and fifth grade, of course, my favorite. I remember seeing and reading The Silence of the Lambs and making a life decision on that. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to major in psychology, which I did. And then I'm going to join the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI, which I did not do. Uh, but no. that was my plan. That was the original plan. And uh, then I got a, you know, I had a 25 year career in marketing. So uh, uh, didn't, didn't really work out the way I thought it would. But uh, I, I talked to, you know, depending on what you think, um, I talked to either fewer or more crazy people than I would have if I went into the FBI. So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what can you share with us about Jet Jameson and the Secret Storm? Um, well, it's a middle grade novel and it's uh, it just came out on August 3rd. And it's about a 12 year old girl who um, is very sensitive to noise and uh, disorganization. She sees it as disorganization, but a lot of people just call it laid back living. And she hears voices in her head. Um, to escape the noise in her household, where her um, younger brothers live and her parents that don't seem that, that are much more laid back than than Jet would like them to be, she would run off to her local library and hang out there. On the way home, she meets um, across the street is a church, and on the way home she meets a nun named Sister Gia, and they. Um, have a nice friendship together. And ultimately, Sister uh, recommends a book to Jet that might help her find peace. And when Jet goes to look for it, it's um, she actually finds one copy and that disappears and can't find it anywhere else and no one will talk to her about it. So she decides to um, kind of wage a battle and and try and find out where the book is and why it's being uh, censored. Very interesting. So it's got a lot of, uh, feels like it's got a lot of depth to it and a lot of things that, you know, so, someone as a, as a 
middle middle grade reader could could really understand and empathize with. Um, it, I know this is part of a series that you're writing. So this is book two in a series. Remind me what the name of that series is. Well, it's it's called the Brave Girls Collection. It's it's actually not a series because the characters don't repeat. However, the themes the themes are threaded similarly through all, all of them. Got it. Okay. So thank thank you for that distinction. What um what prompted you to to sort of write this collection and and sort of these themes, you know, featuring these brave girls? Well, it you know, it, it, I think it just came out of me. Um Artemis, the first book, Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade, grew out of uh, my time with my students, spending time with them um, studying Long Island Sound in the Salt Marsh area and the shoreline. Um, Artemis is a aspiring environmentalist and activist. So that came from that. And of course, Artemis is partly imbued with my characteristics. She is a stutterer and sometimes can't speak at all. Um, you know, representative of my inability at times to be articulate as a child. And so that that was that book. And then Jet actually came from a story my mom told me about herself. And that story is, and mom, my mother is, don't tell her I told you this, but turning 91 next week. She she grew up in this very town, Brantford, and would escape to the Brantford Library because her house was too noisy. And at that time, there was a convent across the street as well as a church. And, and when she walked home, she would always talk with the nuns. And it was this sort of, um, it was a sanctuary and a, and a connection that really meant a lot to her. And I really, I, I love that whole idea. And I also love the fact that I happened to move to Brantford and I spend an awful lot of time in that library as well. So it's, you know, these, these generations of family members, my kids, my grandkids, everybody has gone to that library. Um, it, it just, I think it just grew from that. And I, I, the, the library has become a sanctuary for me. And so the protagonists in my books, though, are brave girls. Um, and they just evolved that way because they had their challenges of um, most of them have trouble finding their voice and ultimately work it out and uh, overcome a, a lot of the challenges. Are the nuns still around? Well, I found out uh, that I don't think so. No, I don't think they're the, the church is still there. But the nun that inspired, there's also another inspiration of a nun is that I went to a Catholic school. And in seventh or eighth grade, uh, seventh and eighth grade, actually, uh, the nun who was my teacher was just very special to me. And she, she, I just felt seen and heard, you know, very, very strongly for one of the first times in my life, especially in, an, in, in school. So unfortunately, I learned that she passed away um, about a year and a half ago. But anyway, the book honors not only libraries and librarians, it honors these nuns that have helped mom and me, you know, through the years uh, and so on. So I have to admit my mother is 90. She just turned 90 a few weeks ago. And um, 
Growing up, she went to a boarding school on Staten Island called Notre Dame Academy. And it was there. She had a very close relationship. Her, her nuns were from, and I know this like the back of my hand, the Congregation of Notre Dame. And they were these you know, French-Canadian nuns um, whose mission in life, I mean, they're, 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 they're um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, hmm. I guess mission, mission's not the right word, and I'm failing to find the right word right now. But their calling really was to be educators. Mm. And she maintained a very close relationship with, um, with the nuns. And some of her classmates that she went to that school with wound up becoming nuns. So we had nuns coming over to our house like all the time for dinner. And it was, it was strange in, in, uh, in one way because, you know, who has nuns coming over their house for dinner all the time? But I saw this side of, of these, these women who were not your stereotypical, you know, take the ruler and put it over your knuckle nuns, which I was used to in the first school I ever went to down in South Florida. I was scared to death of these people. And then I come to Connecticut and it's, it's the, I go to a school where these nuns that taught my mom were teaching us and they were like real human beings. And one of them, I'll never forget my fourth grade teacher, Sister Dorothy. She was like marching in like no nukes marches. Like she was like this radical nun. And it was like, man, I didn't know this like till I, I tracked her down a couple of years ago because I wanted to thank her for all of the positive impact she had on my life. So I wound up interviewing her. And she told me like in the 60s and 70s, like she was like being threatened by her like mother superior because she was like protesting like the war and like nuclear stuff. And I mean, it was just really, really fascinating to me. To see. Same way this nun, Sister Mary Lou was her name. And she was the same way. She was always going up against the principal, you know, about certain things that she thought the kids should be doing and allowed to do. And um you know, now that you're mentioning your story and I'm uh, it's so comparable to mine, I'm realizing that um, Sister Mary Lou sort of mentored or what's the word, um, showed me what using your voice is all about. You know, she wasn't a meek and mild nun that you would stereotypically think of at all. Much more like your sister Ruth, was it? Uh, Dorothy, yeah, Sister Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah, it, very similar to that. Yeah. So, it's yeah, another thing I, I just want to um, reflect on or ask you to reflect on is this notion of taking a story from your mother's past and kind of weaving it in to something you're writing. And just like, it, to me, it's like, you know, as authors, I think one of our superpowers is our memory and then in our curiosity and letting our curiosity go to places where I think most ordinary people don't really go, but just like thinking about this story that, you know, you remember hearing from your mom about something that happened in her childhood and then writing about it so much later in life. To me, I just, I just think that's kind of really cool and shows that inspiration. Yeah. It really can come from anywhere, but so often it comes from like these stories that we were told when we were younger. Mm, like little seeds were planted knowingly or unknowingly and and then they sprout when you least expect it you know yeah absolutely absolutely but but i guess the important thing is that they do sprout and they do That's, uh you know and it, it, they um you know they, they bear fruit i should say yeah and and i also have to say that 
whereas both of the my published books um, have bits of truth in them or seeds of of, of my life in them, um, there are no way, you know, the, the protagonist of Jet Jameson is not my mother. <laughs> you know, the circumstance with, with the library and the nuns. Yeah, that that that, but not anything else. So so I think what happens is I've taken my truths and my um, my uh, familial stories and um, let my imagination run with them. Yeah, that, I assume your mother, you mentioned she's 91. She's still with you. Yeah. Uh, has she read the book yet? I think um, it's there in that house. And I'm not sure if she's finished it yet. Um, she knows that there's a lot of, uh, her influence in there though. So. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I am curious. Uh, one of the ways I like to get to know my authors and my guests a little bit more is through asking questions about their childhood and pop culture as they as it pertains to their child. So I am curious, Kimberly, when you were growing up, what were some of your th favorite things to watch on TV? Did you have a favorite show back in the day? I liked, um, Oh, when I was really young, I, I did like the Waltons. I love these, all those family, nice family shows that were sort of comforting to me, I think. And, you know, at the end, good night, John Boy, good night, you know, all that stuff. And then, but I really liked Bewitched. And I loved Samantha that she could just like touch her nose or go like this and things would change. I wanted that power, you know, it was just so cool. You know, um, I always get a kick out of, uh, of course, you know, I doing that nose wiggle thing. Um, and of course, her daughter, Tabitha, I guess, inherited that as well. But just the tension between, you know, the mother-in-law and Darren, you know, <laughs> so, so, and depending on, you know, I'd love your opinion, new Darren or old Darren, if there was a Darren you prefer. But um, I always thought that was a kind of a source of uh, of comedy. Yeah. Now, new Darren, old Darren. Why well, one, there were two different Darrens on Bewitched, and one of them, I think, is something York. I can't remember. It wasn't Peter York, Tom York, oh. and then the actor switched like through the um through the through the series. Huh. I think I remember the York one. Was that the original? I think that may have been the original. Yeah. Yeah, the name sounds familiar, but yeah. So I, I mean, all the those sort of easygoing shows are just a great, you know escape i guess yeah and then uh, i i remember watching i was so excited to watch the will ferrell uh movie bewitched where he played darren and who was it um who played uh, uh samantha was uh, nicole kidman oh and, really and i and i think while there were funny parts to the movie it just didn't land like i think it missed a lot of the campiness of the original series right 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 i can i can see how that would be yeah. How about music? What did you like listening to growing up? Um, I remember having the Supremes albums and albums. That's how, how far back we go. Uh, and playing them in my room. I loved the Supremes. Uh, I also will admit to having a poster of the monkeys on my wall. <laughs> I, noticed, I noticed that admission was, was accompanied by, I think it was a snort. I mean, it was pretty much. <laughs> no. 
Um, why, why are you laughing at that? I mean, I'm a daydream believer to me holds up today. So tell me, why did, why did you laugh at yourself when you, I just had, I I just had this vision of that poster when you asked me the question and, you know, I, I can't say I was one of those kids that was so into music or, you know, crying when the Beatles came on or watching Ed Sullivan, hoping the Beatles, you know, um, but I did have a few things that I liked and loved in the Supremes and the Monkeys. Well, who was the 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 shortest monkey? Ricky or Mickey or Well, there were okay, so Mickey Dolans, Michael Nesmith, Peter Tork, and Davy Jones. I love how you remember this. So uh-huh. Davy Jones, I think that I had a crush on. Yeah. And he wound up on an episode of the Brady Bunch, believe it or not. Oh, I used to watch that too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think Marsha wanted him to go to the senior prom or something crazy. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha. Oh, funny. Um, How about, I know you mentioned it being an avid reader when you were younger. Who were some of your favorite authors? Who were you drawn to? Well, um, my my favorite book uh, is a book called, it was a book called Pookie. And it was by Ivy Wallace. I believe it's out of print now. Um, but anyway, it's about a, a little white rabbit who um, sprouts wings and, of course, is ostracized from the community as well as his family. And he uh, heads into the bluebell forests and nature heals him because they, he realizes out there that um, everybody's different and those wings can really be an asset to a bunny because then you can fly around and, and hang out in different places. So I don't know. The illustrations in that book are so rich and detailed. So I love that. And um, when I got older, I read Nancy Drew a ton and uh, just loved it. it if, if I got a Nancy Drew as a gift, I was in heaven. Um, trying to think of of other books i read a ton and i remember being given my my godmother lived in california and i grew up in connecticut and she would send me a book for my birthday every year and i loved that and the books were by a man named leo polito and he illustrated his own books as well and do you know of a book called The Swallows of Capistrano? I, I know the title. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was one of the books that she gave me. And he always signed them and he signed them in like paint or something. It was like it looked like watercolor paint that he used to sign his name. Um, so that was always really special getting those books, too. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I I remember reading under the covers at night when I was supposed to be in bed. And I don't know, they're just not coming to me right now, but those were basics. So, you know, you, you've worn a lot of uh, hats in your professional life, you know, and you mentioned being a fifth grade teacher was your favorite job. But now, you know, you have the ability to focus on writing full time. I'm curious, mm-hmm. how does that feel to be able to devote, you know, sort of all of your professional energies on, on something that you love to do? It feels great. I mean, it's 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 been a bit of a whirlwind finally getting published because the first book was published February 2nd of this year. And then, as I said, Jet came out in August. So um, it, it just happened that way. Two different publishers. So it's been a lot to juggle. 
Um, and I don't think that I was aware of the amount of um, time and energy an author has to put into marketing and publicizing their book, especially if you're with small publishers like I am. Um, so it's 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 been a, really an education. It was, you know, I didn't learn any of this at school. Um, the first book, uh, Artemis, that came out in February, it was two two years to the day almost from when I first signed the contract to when the book was published. And I thought, oh, two years. I've waited, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was a worthwhile two years because during that time, I reached out to other authors. I met other authors in person I, who were ahead of me in the game, you know, who knew publishing much better than I did. And so I educated myself that way. Those two years were spent in 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 very worthwhile um, uh, encounters with other people and just just good learning years. So um, I'm loving I'm loving it. But you know, right now I I'm fighting to find the time to write. You know, it's it's I'm doing all this other stuff and. You know, Artemis came out. Oh, but wait, there's still, I mean, Jet came out. There's, what about Artemis? You know, I'm like, am I giving them each enough time? You know, am I doing this? Am I doing that? But I think I need to calm down and, you know, let things be, do what I can do. And um, I have just recently started to write again, um, really seriously. I mean, I need chunks of time to write. I can't just do it well in little bits here and there i need a good three hours to really sit and get into it yeah. so it's been interesting it's 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 been hard but i it's i love it i just love it and oh and i the thing i really love is are the events i do where i get to be with the kids i get to talk about reading and writing with kids or you know doing interactive activities that have to do with my books i just I, I miss teaching in that way, although it, 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 you know, it's I would never want to go back to an over full time job, which teaching really is uh, for many teachers. So, yeah, I'm thankful for where I'm at right now. You know, the uh, it, it's it's um, interesting when I hear you know authors talk about not knowing how much work the sort of publicity side is. You know, because a lot of people go into, you know, writing you know, their first book thinking, oh, writing's the hard part. Yeah. And then you realize that once once that is done, it's the, the real hard part, and especially for some writers who, you know, might characterize themselves, you know, more being more introverted, yeah. um, having to, you know, really push your your stuff. And, and as you mentioned, being with a small publisher, it's often up to you to to find your own publicity. And really putting yourself out there and, you know, kind of doing events or doing things like this. Um, but, you know, over time, you'll you'll get into the right pace. And, you know, it, it won't be every year where you'll have two books out and, and eight months of each other. So it's that's uh, right. That's right. You know, yeah. um, but that's uh, it's so cool. And it's such a blessing that you're able to to kind of do that. And um, uh, so I, I think that's fantastic. Um one, one final question. If you could write a letter to your younger self, I, I call this the dear younger me question and you know, give your younger self some words of advice. What what would you share with with the younger Kimberly? Hmm. Well, I would 
reassure her that she is not broken, that she's brave, that she's lovable and worthwhile, and that there are things that she might not know or believe right now um, that she will come to know later, one of which is that uh, she can tap into a power that is there that will never leave her, uh, which is her voice, and that she should always reach out for help if if she needs it, and that there are people out there that want to help her. Um, yeah, I think I I think I just try and be a reassuring voice. Um, I always wanted a big sister growing up, so I can just kind of hear that big sisterly sort of, you can do this, you got this, it's tough, yeah. But um, coming out on the other end is, is it, it, feels, it feels pretty good. That's great. Thank you for sharing those uh, with me and the audience. Uh, Kimberly, where can people pick up Jet Jameson at the Secret Storm? Uh, anywhere, really. Um, online in bookstores or you can order them from your independent bookstore any of that all right and if people want to connect with you do you have a website and social media handles you want to share with everybody yes my website is my name kimberlybarracanet.com and then my social media handles i'm on twitter facebook and instagram but um i think if you just type my name in it should it should come up. Mine is not a common name. I but will. I think for two of them, it's Kimberly B. Kinney. And then um, Kimberly, I don't know. I don't know what Moth is. We'll, we'll, we'll take the guessing out of the equation. I'll put the direct links right into the show notes. So if anybody wants to Thank get you. Kimberly, you can just tap on website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They'll all be in the show notes along with a link to where you can buy the book. Uh, Kimberly, thank you so much for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. <laughs> thank you, too. It was fun. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.